Welcome to another Love Sport podcast. Paul, John, and Super Pete as your hosts. Fair bit of focus on the EPL and NFL today. Uh, we'll see who are the winners, who are the losers, and what's going to happen in the upcoming Super Bowl. This is the Love Sport podcast. So welcome to another Love Sport podcast. This is Paul, John, and Super Pete. They're going to do a bit of a football transfer and NFL podcast. So we'll get right into it with our expert, Pete. Um, let's just have a look at some of the significant uh, January transfers um, and what you thought of, you know, how the market kind of manipulated it all as well there, Pete. Yeah, perfect. So I think... There's always going to be your classic winners and losers from a, a transfer window, and there's going to be teams that just pull an absolute rabbit out of a hat and, and it pops up out of nowhere. And to be blunt, I think that there's probably two teams that really stand out in terms of the teams who have really won this, uh, this transfer window, and they're pretty much Everton and Aston Villa, two teams who needed a bit of a kick up the bum and a bit of a revolution in a way. And they've got exactly that in this transfer window. Uh, teams who have really, you know, I, I wouldn't say have lost the transfer window, but just didn't really do as much as we kind of thought that they might. That, that actually kind of includes your top teams in the competition who have let a lot of their youngsters out on loan to try and get experience elsewhere. But they haven't really brought in any fresh faces, which at times... You know, that's what you need in a January transfer window is a fresh face to just liven up the place because if you're there with the same people day after day, uh, it does get a bit monotonous. So I suppose the, the one of the caveats we'll put on this is that, you know, we, we, we do have a focus on APL. Um, so we, we haven't looked too much wider than that. Um, I think I think Newcastle had a pretty good window as well. Um, obviously, they've got a lot of money, and I think I think they're a team now. You, you, they've got a strong enough squad that they shouldn't go down, and it would be a disaster now if they did because I think they have strengthened their squad pretty well. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that, and I'm sure that John will um, will back this up. The fact that Newcastle have brought in kind of key players in key areas and created a little bit of excitement about it. I think that. Um, uh, I guess, I guess Newcastle needed it because of obviously the the fact that uh, you know this massive influx of funding coming in, uh, it, it was inevitable that there would be big transfers, or we expected something really big to come out. I think that it, it really showed with the the potential Jesse Lingard move that teams are starting to realise what Newcastle are capable of and then what they're willing to try and do in negotiation. So a team like an, uh, Manchester United saying, we won't let someone go on loan unless you're going to pay us a loan fee in you know the range of almost $12 million. That says one heck of a lot. Well, that happened to Villa. Quite a few of their transfers at the end of the window. They were asking us for 10 or $12 million for a not for a transfer, but for a loan. And we're not a club that needs loans at the moment in that regard. I mean, obviously, Coutinho is a loan that's going to become permanent. That's that's almost a fait accompli. But this new, hey, we'll loan you this player, but you pay us 
way, way overs, like ridiculous amounts of money for a loan. Um, it's just, I hope it's not the new way. I really do. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, Stepping away from the Premier League for a split sec, I think that probably the biggest news in uh, other transfer news was actually leaving Arsenal and heading across to Spain. Um, Mm -hmm. He just, he quite literally, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, quite literally just turned up in Spain and said to his agent, just make sure that I end up being here for a little bit longer. Um, so he's ended up signing with Barcelona for pretty much the as a free uh, free move, and it's a really interesting signing. Um, yeah. What he, like not only he's basically being told your job at Barca is just to turn up and score goals. Don't stress about running because we've got a Damo Traore to do that for you. So let him do all the running. Let him out muscle everyone, and you just stand up top and score some goals for us from time to time. Well, a couple of the others, obviously, uh, if we just go back to Premier League for a while, uh, I I'm going to say his name wrong. John, you might know this better, but Bruno uh, Gamerides from Lyon to Newcastle, $33 million. That's a lot to pay in a um, January window. But uh, Diaz from Porto to Liverpool was also $33 million. So pretty good signings for both uh, Newcastle and Liverpool there as well. Look, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to harp on about Newcastle, but you know, for the first time in 12 years, or 13 years, we actually were active. You yep. talk about loans and frees and stuff like that. Okay, everyone knows we got money. I like the fact that the club kept going at things when it was apparent that other people didn't want to deal with them. I mean, I think that um, Guimaraes from is a current Brazilian international, played in the midfield and they qualified the other night as a yep. Newcastle fan. You bring in Matt Target, you've got Dan Byrne, you've got him. Um, you know, you've already got... Kieran Trippi have rebuilt the back line, which, look, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be a broken record, but I think I said it from the start of the year. So I know we can score. We just have to stop them. And I think that got proven out pretty much throughout the year in that we've held leads in, like, more games than I think anyone in Premier League history in the position that we're in and blowing them over and over and over again. And and I thought it was pretty good. Okay, everyone's – a lot of fans have blown up saying, oh, my God, we didn't get the out-and-out striker. But guess what? They went and chased him. If we survive yeah. this year, and that was Ekiteka, if we survive this year, you'll be at our club. And people like Donny Vandenbeek and all this who, you know, weren't, oh, I'm not going there or whatever, they'll be in the rearview mirror because we'll be moving on. And as long as we survive, this is amazing. And if we, if we don't survive, the way that the club is now structured from the top down, it's showing everyone, and I love what Pete was saying, that we're here... We're no longer, oh, give us your off-cuts to a Steve Bruce red moribund steaming dung heap in the northeast. We're actually going to be a real player, and and I'm excited. Would I like to have gotten, you know, the two players that wound up at Everton? Yeah, sure, but you can't have everyone, and um, I'm happy with what we got. Well, that's why I'm um, – you just said you didn't want to make it Newcastle biased, but I always make it Villa and Liverpool biased because of, the, because of all of this. Um, but I'm really excited that we didn't sign some players at overs because it reeked of desperation, which means I think that a team like Villa come post-season is going to have a lot more bargaining. And Steven Gerrard, uh, he's just attracting players nonstop. Um, so the other interesting one, guys, that I really wanted to bring Can up I just here... say this? Oh, sorry. I really wonder what the hell's going on at Arsenal. They gave away so many players for just about nothing. 
And I'd love to know what Pete says about that. Uh, absolutely. And think about who that they've brought in at Arsenal. Um, so their one in is Austin Trusty, who's come across from Colorado Rapids. Um, his contract won't actually start until July 17th, so he'll stay on loan at Colorado Rapids. As soon as he turns up, uh, he's pretty much going to get loaned out to another European side. So this is a guy who is pretty much going to turn up wearing an Arsenal shirt purely for a photo shoot and then never to wear an Arsenal shirt again. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And I think uh, I think John's uh, dropped out for a little bit here. But I wanted to also bring up another one. It was really good time by you there. Was um, just showing the strength of the MLS at the moment. Uh, Ricardo Pepe has gone from FC Dallas to Aux- uh, Augsburg for 15 million. Welcome back, John. Um, okay. So, uh, FC Dallas, 15 million dollars for a 19-year-old striker. It's showing the strength of the MLS that, that clubs are really looking at those players all over Europe. Yeah, well, it's showing what the youth uh, US national team players are able to do. The fact that um, it's a funny thing. People are constantly going to be worried about what you're going to get from an Australian youth player and whether or not they're going to hack it overseas. But the American youth at the moment that, that, that are coming through, it's it's incredible. The players we're getting noticed, the offers that are coming through, um, they're, they're actually at a better technical base at times ah. than a lot of the Australians. But also, we've got this traditional habit of underselling ourselves and then when the tough gets going, almost saying, oh, I'll just go back to where I'm comfortable. Um, and unfortunately, that's going to be the better, uh, that's going to be a better move for some of these uh, US youth. They didn't qualify for the World Cup, Pete, if they're so technically proficient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, they're going for the, the easiest way possible team, to get there. Correct. From the men's national team at the top, yeah, they do make life hard for themselves. From the youth side, they're not too bad, but uh, they're they're very good individual players. And there's a lot of these players who thrive in the environment of being um, kind of really heavily coached. So a player like you've just mentioned there, Paul, going off to Augsburg, um, they're going to be kind of coached in a certain way which will help really direct them in the right path rather than saying, go play, be free, and then kind of lose their balance. Okay. I just want to give a, a slightly askew kind of opinion here, right? When the A-League started and there was all these unknown young players all over the, all over the competition, they took the ball on, they took the game on, and even as a Raw supporter, we couldn't score, but we, we created opportunities and it was exciting to watch our players from the back try and take people on and everything. And it feels like at our junior levels and in the A-League, there's a real fear of taking your player on because, oh, my God, we make a mistake and we lose the game. And that's I, I go all the time, as you do. I go all the time and watch these games. And when they take the player on, the whole crowd lifts and, and the game changes. But they so often take the easy pass 20 30 metres sideways and backwards. And when I watch the American young guys play in the MLS and so forth, they are, they're either coached or encouraged to take their player on and create play. 
And Australian football at the moment is so scared on every level of making mistakes that we take the easy path, whether that is you um, come back and play for your fourth A-League club, which seems to be the Recycle League. It should have We should have been sponsored by that green recycle symbol. Um, but that's me. I, I just see players take the easy way out by either passing it backwards or going backwards in their career by staying at A-League clubs. I'm not sure what your thoughts are there. 100%. I'll back that up. Um, not that long ago, I was at a set of trials where I had the second team and another coach was selecting for his first team. And at that trial, he was saying, I don't want X player because they dribbled the ball too much. I just want people who can pass around. Oh and I basically God. just, I laughed and I quite literally said, I will happily have that player any day of the week. I don't care if it's futsal, football, what the sport is, I will happily have that player because they're willing to take a risk. You were talking about the technical side of it, guys, um, before, and that's that's where I think we're not technical anymore because I watch these young guys. like I watched Demi Petrados on the weekend, right? And no, he's not a young guy anymore. But when he first played for a couple of different clubs in, in Australia, he took the players on. Uh, you look at the Tommy Orrs, all those young guys that went, have come back to the A-League in recent years, they were so exciting when they were young. And they took players on and they created opportunities up front. Now they're at the, you know, they've gone overseas, they've come back and they've just regressed so much. These are the players that I expected to go on and become Socceroos or, or be playing in Europe. It's crap. In that area, because, with, you know, you, you guys are so intimately involved in it. But I, I just, my take is this is that <clears throat> about 20 years ago, uh, I, or maybe around, 2002 and then 2006, when Australia was qualifying for the World Cup for the first time and a golden generation was coming through and playing great football, and let's be realistic, I mean, had every chance that they could have almost, if things went their way, they would have finished at least fourth in the World Cup. Um, but on the sidelines, sniping through that whole time and forever and a day since was, we need to change the way that we play we, we, we can't possibly go on with this. We, we're, we're too much of focused on, you know, players with, you know, big engines and too much, you know, this, that. And, and you know what? The current team looks like it's going nowhere. And what you guys are saying, and the A-League's going nowhere, uh, is that too much of the new or not enough of the old or too much of the old? Uh, just a question. Just to Pete, um, I think coaching in this country has gone backwards. I mean, I don't, I'm not involved anymore in the junior levels like you are, Pete. But from a senior level, it's a no-risk policy. I mean, I watch the games, you watch the games. It just feels like I, I need to keep my job. I'm going to be safe. Is that somewhat correct or you know more than we do? Yeah, Lou, it's, it's 100% a valid perspective to, to think about that that job security is currently, you know, one of the the biggest things to consider. Um, and it's whatever it takes to make sure that the people in front of me look as good as possible uh, as well, you know, that they're as um, positive as, as possible. Like you can have a good culture whilst also being a competitive culture. You can also have a culture of a team who are actually progressive, and are willing to innovate as well. Um, I, I think that a really good example of that is Sydney FC's women's team. 
you put that as a team who are willing to mix things up, have plenty of youth, plenty of experience, are happy to adapt the way that they play their game on a fairly regular basis and are more than happy to change things up. And then they've just broken a record for eight games, not conceding a goal. And it's the most clean sheets and Jada Wyman coming out and basically saying, well, Yes, I've broken Lydia Williams's record, but you know what? Now it's my record. So it's up to someone else to try and take me on. And they're a team who have really good coaching with Ante Juric, who, to be honest, he probably should be one of those guys in line at some point to take over the Matilda's job that he's got a lot of ability and a lot of potential. And unfortunately, there's not enough of that anywhere else. Where, to be blunt, uh, I've, I've said this on coaching courses when I've run them, stop being a YouTube coach. Stop trying to look on a YouTube ambassador just saying, oh, right, I've just seen you know a Barcelona training session and this is what they're going to do. Oh, this is what Chelsea did at training, so I'm going to replicate that with my under-15s park soccer Div 3 team. Like, no. Yeah. We've... We've got really good resources out there. And at the end of the day, the game is the teacher itself. So we need to be able to educate people and help work alongside people to really upskill as much as possible. With juniors, with juniors, so this, I think this is a problem across lots of... We're identifying, uh, and I hesitate to use the term, I'm starting to promise myself I'd never use it again. We're identifying elite talent, right? And... These people all get subsumed into some kind of a, a factory where they all then start playing only with in a in, in a in a club or a squad with other elite talented team players. They go out and they completely kibosh because they're under a you know a under this like direct line of sight of whatever the governing body is. They kibosh everybody else in their comps. They don't play for their schools. They don't get exposed to anything difficult. And then when time comes that they actually are up against proper professionals, they just, just fall away. Whereas I would look at that old structure we had where everyone was fighting for a, for breath to get attention from a, a one national selector as a much more – to me, that brings out real talent and guts. We're missing that at Australia at the moment. It, at both men's and women's level as well, like I saw Melbourne City take on Brisbane Raw on the weekend, two teams that just did not know how to score. And I – don't want to put down a, a coach that used to coach one of my clubs, but Rado Vitasic, I believe, is a coach of Melbourne City women. And Pete, I and, and John, you've both trained women's teams and everything like that. He was screaming and swearing at the girls, um, and Melbourne City won. But and I don't care if this is on the podcast, I sat right behind him, so I know he did. And I just don't think that's the way to coach women's sport. It, it's a very different way of coaching in that regard. And Having guys like that coach, I'm sorry if you're not going to listen to Gerardo, so I'm fine. But I just don't think if that's what's happening in the game as well, something's really wrong. Just because he's coached well at men's level doesn't mean it transitions to women's football. I get that. I totally understand it. His son, Dar- uh, Dario Vitasic, is his assistant coach as well, and, and he yells as much as Rado does. Um, I totally respect it. But the thing is, a lot of the plays are somewhat demanding it, are actually asking yep. Yep. Uh, for it. So, 
you know, I, I think about plenty of times I've had players come up to me and say, Pete, you're too quiet. You need to talk way more than what you do. And I've gone, no worries. I'll happily talk more. And then yep. the players will kind of dictate where they want you to be. And they'll Should tell they? you really quickly. Trust me. Should, Should they be dictating? There's a difference between between yelling and being vocal. Correct. And um, and so I, I'd classify myself as very vocal on the sidelines, hands-on, game-time coach. Um, but in the lead-up to games, I'm, I'm, I'm very much more, um, you know, we, we'll come together and discuss stuff. But during game, yeah. But screaming at people, and especially if it's got negative connotations, the, the, the calling... The verb, the verbalization of the sideline, has to mostly remain positive, and if you've got negative, then you've got to speak, I well, speak to people individually. I can tell you right now, if my daughters were spoken to the way he spoke to his team on, on the weekend, I wouldn't be too happy. Like it, I didn't see it as a positive, to be honest. That I'm just letting you know, I, I thought it was, um, and people can call me out for whatever they want. I just didn't think it was a good way to coach. That's just me. And I don't, I don't blame you for that because there's nothing worse than negative yelling and screaming and, and stuff like that in any – I don't care if it's men these days because guys aren't reacting to that positively. No, no. Well, guys, um, the transfer window in January around the world I think was actually really, really exciting. Um, it reeked of desperation for some teams and for others it just looked like it's – I don't want to say it's a changing of the guard, but it kind of feels like there's a slight changing with the evidence, the Newcastles, the Villas. It feels like the, that middle run might move up a bit, and that can only be good for the game. So I think it was an outstanding um, transfer window in a lot of ways. And the bigger clubs, we didn't even touch on one of the controversies with someone and domestic violence. We won't do that right now. Um, but fantastic to stand someone down. This presume innocence crap, I'm over. I'm so happy that Manchester United, I won't say any more, didn't come out and defend someone. Um, I think that's a step forward. No, well, it's pretty hard to presume innocence when there's photographic proof and well, audio proof and so on. And like, it, it's just mental. Anyway, let's talk about football and let's get back to Brentford and talk about the fact that Christian Eriksen has returned to yes. the Premier League. Um, yeah. This is a guy who was ineligible to play over in Italy due to his pacemaker, but due to um, you know having trained over at Ajax with their reserve team, he's got himself back up to fitness and he's come into this Brentford lineup uh, and he's got a great potential to really add a little bit of steel and a little bit of class to uh, to this Brentford side. Yeah, fantastic. I think the world was happy to see him back out there. Guys, that, um, I know that Pete's going to be out of here pretty soon, but we're going to move across and do our second section in a moment. We're going to cover some NFL. Okay, guys, welcome back to the podcast. The NFL Super Bowl is set. And if you'd said at the start of the season, it was going to be the Cincinnati Bengals taking on the LA Rams. Um, I would have said, oh, don't think so, mate. I might have said something a bit stronger. Um but I know for John, it hasn't been a great playoff series because of uh, Green Bay going out. But this has been some of the best playoff football besides week one that I've ever seen. And, and, and I, as you would guys know, love my NFL. What a couple weeks we've had with the divisional rounds and then the conference championships. I don't think we've seen 
what I think the biggest margin was six points between the divisional round and the conference championships. It's been an incredibly long and difficult road for me. And as a person, I've been to very dark places, which I promised myself I wouldn't do. Um, I'm going to acknowledge that the little piece of little green shoot after the forest fire that went through my world two weeks ago, and I mean that, the green shoot is the Cincinnati Bengals making the Super Bowl. Now, I still can't believe that that happened. I don't know what I can't believe more, that the Bengals got to the Super Bowl or the Packers managed to contrive to lose a game where they only need to score 13 points to win at home in the playoffs. I'm going to go with that even more than that, the Bengals making the Super Bowl is that you right, Paul, no one saw that coming. It's awesome. Well, let's, let's have a look at the Chiefs-Bengals game quickly. Um, the, Be- the Chiefs just flew out of the traps, uh, got out to, I, I think, a 21-3 lead um, in the first half. And the way they were playing, they had their run game going. They had their wide receivers catching the ball at will. And it just looked like um, it, it was going to be a pretty big night. I mean, Travis Kelsey uh, got 90-odd yards and a touchdown, but most of that happened in the first uh, half. And if you said Tyreek Hill and Kelsey were going to have touchdowns and 100 and 70-odd yards between them, um, I would have said, yep, they're, they're going on to win this pretty easy. But uh, the, the Bengals, just they, they stayed in there. Um, the Chiefs blew a chance to go a, a further three to seven points out late in the second half. And people at the time mucked around and said, oh, could that cost um, you know, the, the Chiefs? Because the Bengals do hang around. And it did, ultimately. Um, Joe Burrow, 250 yards two touchdowns and an interception. But like the great players, he doesn't seem to be worried if he throws an intercept or makes a mistake. Um, I I thought he was great. He rushed for 25 yards. Um, Jamar Chase did what he did. But as always in a playoff games, um, someone comes up and I thought T Higgins was fantastic as a receiver. And I don't know, it's just one of the great stories in, in, I don't want to just say NFL, but I think it's one of the great stories of sport to see the Cincinnati Bengals not win a playoff game um, in, you know, decades. And now they're in a Super Bowl. I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, well, their famously nickname is the Bungles because everything they touch turns to crap. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, it just shows you there, you know, in the first year of the coach that's there in the second year, there was all these people calling for his head and, you know, you don't know what to do and it's another idiot and get him at, they've got no, they've got no plan, got no idea. But sometimes if you persist with things and have faith and believe in the system, things will work out. I, and and the Bengals, what do you say? I mean, they've won the toss. They, they're wearing the black uniform in the Super Bowl, so they're going to look great. I like the Bengals in that outfit. Yeah. Much more yeah. than the white. Um, and... You know, they got a long way to go to, to beat the LA Rams in their home stadium in the final, but I'm just going to make a little prediction early. I know you put the one later on. I have been waiting for... See, everyone that's come up against the Bengals has kind of shot themselves in the foot. Now, mm. there's a guy who's been in the NFC North for a long time, and I've watched him play a lot for Detroit, and no one shoots themselves in the foot better than Matt Stafford. Now, he's going to find a way of blowing it for the Rams. 
and the and the, and the Bengals will win. And I reckon they'll come back because I've got a I've got a feeling the Rams will shoot out quickly. Um, I like Joe Burrow because he can get hit time and time and time again. It's smashed. He'll get up against a fearsome pass rush, dink one over the top. Young Mixon, T Higgins, um, Jamar Chase. Big go look out and lights out, and they've got an awesome kicker. And well, if it's we'll, time, he's going to win it for them. I was going to say, we'll come, we'll come to that in a minute <laughs> because I do want to slightly cover the, the 49ers-Rams game. And, and we'll, sorry, man. Uh, I, no, just don't, don't, I'm, I'm, I, have to have, I have to have some release. I, uh, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I've been like a bird with a broken wing for two weeks. Well, pretty similar to, pretty similar to what we spoke about earlier. Um, the 49ers were given no chance this year of getting to a Super Bowl. And if people, if they say they, they did, I, I think they'd be kind of fibbing to themselves a bit. They ended up with a 12-8 and eight record after they lost to the Rams. They had every chance to win this game. They got out to a 17-7 lead uh, at the end of the third quarter and unfortunately ran out of steam in the last. Um, and this is the difference between a good quarterback, and a very good quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo just didn't get it done. 16 to 30, 232 yards, two touchdowns, a vital interception. But I think the, the I don't want to, I really love the fact that when a player comes up and owns uh, a mistake, but they had one of the most basic intercepts you'll ever see and probably would have won the game for the 49ers. I think it was harder to drop the ball than catch it. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember the play, but it would have had. Yeah, yeah, and, but but he came out and and just a really classy ownership of his mistake. I just thought it was. Do you know what I mean? Like I I, I was just really. I don't know. I just thought he did. Um, uh, came out. He apologised to the fans. He knew that realistically the game was on his fingers right there. But you don't want to put it down to one player. Uh, Debo Samuel didn't have one of these great rushing games. I mean, it just, you know, I don't know how um, they got up to 17-7, but it's a, it's a quarterback who's been under the pump. You said it before. Matty Stafford did come through. I think he had a huge game, 337 yards, two touchdowns. He shook off a lot of tackles he wouldn't have in the past. He's living um, on the edge. He is, but there's always an argument about tight ends. And Pete, tight ends um, are guys who can block. Um, they're really big. They're normally, you know, 6'4". They're normally, you know, 100-odd kilos of muscle. Um, they can block. They can come in as an extra blocker, but they're also an eligible receiver. Um, so tight ends, um, traditionally, a lot of them have been um, blocking tight ends. But in the last few years, it's really been catching tight ends. So Rob Gronkowski, uh, Rob Gronkowski is a good example of a tight end. Uh, but Cooper Cup, he is next level. He is next level elite receiver as a tight end, don't you think, John? Oh, Cup's not a – he's classified as a wide receiver, Paul. I've never I heard still, of him talk as a tight end. I, I think he still lines up. I think he started out as a tight end. I think he can still more be coming blocking. Out of look, yeah, he, look, he is. But he's an incredible player. Absolutely incredible player. Yeah. He's an incredible player, but he had a drop in that game as well. And it's no one's perfect. And oh, look, you know, I want to pull myself back from talking and harping on too much on the quarterbacks, but quarterbacks and coaches make big matchups these days. And, you know, um, Shanahan, the coach of the 49ers, and I, look, I've got to give him credit. They came into Green Bay with a plan, but um, yep. 
I thought that he melted away a little bit. Now he's got a question mark. It's funny how the Americans turn. They turn so quick. But you reckon it's bad in football. Like, you got a guy like Mike Shanahan's never really had that much of a quarterback. They always say he's the best in the business. Every time he gets to sniffs a big game, he dies. And he's done it again. So I think he's lost two Super Bowls. And now this game there, um, people are starting to say, you know, maybe he's not a big game coach. I don't know. What say you? I think he is. I think you you, you put him, um, you give him a Green Bay. Sorry, mate. I have to say, it, you give him a Green uh, Green Bay Packers, and I think he's in the Super Bowl. I think he's a fantastic coach. Well, that's Just easy because... to say, given that the Forty ers have had our number over and over again. I think that I, I actually, I'd, I'd more say that if we had Tom Brady for the last ten years, we would have won ten Super Bowls. Yeah, you would have won three or four at least. Um, but turn it up. We'd have won more than. <laughs> I think the most surprising thing I think the most surprising thing for me out of the game um, is that I think there was one sack for the whole game for both sides I, I could be wrong there um, but I think there was one sack now if you had told me that um, the Rams weren't going to sack Jimmy Garoppolo at all I would have been absolutely shocked but what about his pass at the end I mean he had to get rid of that ball the one that became the intercept that froze the game should he be just thrown it away completely Oh, everyone makes mistakes, mate. He's under incredible pressure. He's already wrapped up and turned around. They were going backwards, and, and they knew that he was about to face a fourth down and 30 if he got caught there. So, yeah. so the game was done. at that. As soon as they got through the line, look, they didn't give him an option to flip it off. I, so many times now you hear about teams in, fourth, in, in third and, you know, third and fourth down combined, you know, at the end of the game. They look for a little chunk play, and then they go deep. You know, Jimmy G, he gets criticised, but he gets criticised the way some other quarterbacks who've got their teams to championship games get quarters criticised and bring a new guy you never seen again. Well, guys, next week we're going to do a full preview. John's given us a nice little preview already, but we'll do a full preview of the Super Bowl. We've got a game coming up that I don't care about. I, I, I've never, ever cared about the Pro Bowl. I just think it's absolute rubbish. Um, so I won't be watching that. But then we'll do a preview next week of the Super Bowl itself, which is going to be amazing. Uh, 14th, of, 14th of Feb, the Super Bowl's on, Monday the 14th, I believe. I think so. Yeah, before we go, I just want to acknowledge Pete's still there. I, I, I actually, we know that Pete is the number one Bills Mafia man in um, Western New South Wales, in Western Sydney, and Western New South Wales, if you like to. A little bit of Mafia out there. But um, Bills Mafia, Pete, um, I thought that. I reckon if your Bills had won the coin toss, they'd be playing in the Super Bowl. And I reckon Josh Allen showed himself to be the best quarterback in the NFL during the playoffs. I thought his performance against Mahomes was outrageous. Yeah, I've got to, um, I've got to support that because there's been plenty of commentary that said pretty much the exact same thing as that. Uh, it was... You know, that sliding doors top of a moment for the Bills and uh, a whole lot of potential. But as you've been saying to me, as we've been saying on this pod for quite some time, this Bill side is a team that's really building towards something special. So it's a classic thing, if not now, well, potentially next year, the year after. But they're very, very likely to make that Super Bowl in the, in the coming years if they keep this momentum. Yeah, you've got to keep the faith, man. Well, do I have to keep the faith? Because my club won eight out of their last nine games had a winning record, the Dolphins. 
they sacked their coach. And their coach is now suing the NFL and the Dolphins' ownership for racism. And there Wait, might can be. Make sure that you tell people who sacked him, the general manager. Yep. And what colour is he? True. Yes. Black. Yeah. Absolutely. So he's got a black general manager and he's calling out criticism in the cl- uh, racism in the club. But okay, I'll just give you an example, guys, before the we go. No, in the club is black. No one wants to coach the Dolphins at the moment. Almost everyone who's looked at us has moved on to someone else. We've got players who are now going, oh, I think I want to go somewhere else. And we're just, every time I think the Dolphins are turning the corner, we just absolutely shoot ourselves in the foot. So it's one of the biggest stories in world sport at the moment because it's a multi, multi, multi-million dollar claim. Um, and it could force the Dolphins to, to sack, or not the Dolphins, it could force the NFL um, to do a similar thing to what happened with the LA Clippers. I don't think it is the same thing with the ownership, but the owner, the owner could be forced to sell the Dolphins. Imagine if the result of the racism inquiry at the club was that uh, the black general manager got sacked because of it. Yeah. Who made the decision to sack the, the coach? Yeah, ex- exactly right. Guys, this has been a, a, a rather short and sweet um, pod, uh, pod today, so I, I thank the boys for being on. Um, I just want to say the Socceroos, as we said, are still a chance, regardless of what people say, and the Matildas were disappointing, but there's been some positive outcomes. We've seen teams that weren't going to qualify potentially from World Cups um, in Asia and, and so forth getting through. So I just want to say, whilst we're Australian-centric, Congratulations to those countries and everything that are a real chance of making uh, their, their first World Cups as well. well. I'll let Pete have the last word on the World Cup. I'll say this is that if you might as well go and beat Japan because the team has not looked it. But you know what? I have faith in a big moment that they can step up and and hopefully get a win. If not, I'll be getting on the old... How the hell did we let Bert Van Marwick walk out the door and replace him with Graham Arnold bandwagon? I heard a really good comparison of we need to match the competition level to the hype level. And at the moment, there's a whole lot of hype around some of these teams, but we're not reaching the competitive level. So from a Socceroos and a Matildas perspective, We've got a whole lot of expectations. We've got a whole lot of hype around them. They just need to be competitive on the field and ensure that they're able to get the results that they deserve or at least the results that they are willing to fight for. So, unfortunately, from a Matilda's Asian Cup perspective, we're out. But this is a good opportunity to really potentially give this team a kick up the bum and basically say, okay, the... Older players who might not be uh, as fresh and willing to play the 90 minutes, let's bring in some fresh players and let's uh, raise competitive levels because as Teo Pelizzari said the other day on National Curriculum's um, podcast, uh, there's meant to be 50 players who get named in an AFC list. And I personally have never seen all 50 players on a list. I've only ever seen 23 get named when a squad gets named. So... I personally would love to see who the 50 are that make up the rest of the squad. Yeah, that's a very fair, that's a very fair call. Guys, um, thank you for another fantastic podcast. This is the Love Sport Podcast, and we'll speak to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us for another Love Sport Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It was Paul, John, and Pete, the co-hosts. 
talked a bit of EPL, we talked a bit of world transfers, the Socceroos, what's happening, uh, and the NFL as well. You can get me at Paul underscore football on Twitter, John at Lambic Peach, and Pete at Pete Novakowski. This is, was, and always will be the Love Sport Podcast.